Hello, everyone, and welcome to Thrifters Villa, a podcast for resellers and entrepreneurs. I'm Daniela. And I'm Jen. And today, I think that we're just literally going to open up the reseller topic book and just see what's kind of going on and what do we want to talk about? I, you know, we, we know there's a lot of different um, stories mm. and issues and challenges and exciting things kind of all happening and reselling at once. And we thought, why don't we just have a sit down episode and Daniela and I are just going to chit chat about it, like two reseller friends and just gather up our thoughts and our opinions on it. Yeah, so stay tuned for the episode, guys. We will see you at the table. Hi, Jen. Hello, Daniela. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. You know, I we're recording this on January 31st. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot believe Oh my God, that it's just so crazy to think The about. first month is gone. I mean... I know. I, I don't even know, like, what's happening? I feel like you were just here. <laughs> I know. I feel like I was just there too, which really stinks because, um, yeah, I didn't even talk about what, you know, what I kind of did. Well, that's true. We can talk about that today. Yeah. And all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah, it's just, I feel like, and I'm sure everybody feels this way. Um, as I get older, the years just start really going by very quickly. I've got a milestone birthday this year and Mm -hmm. I've been like really harping on that and freaking out about it, but it's all good. You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how about yeah, you so jen was here the first week second week really oh, i yeah. guess yeah. of january and oh. we were able to get together which was nice yes that was really but jen's coming back nice. more more times this year which means i'm gonna see her even more which is even, which is very exciting to me yeah yeah i'll be traveling a lot more which is really nice so um so we'll, hopefully we can do some something together while, yes. while we're in mass but yeah but the time goes by really fast when I'm there I didn't get a chance to see anybody else really I was hoping to but it gets really hard I'm sure most of you know when you go to travel somewhere and mm-hmm. if you're going back where you lived or home or whatever it is for you it's hard to like see everybody yeah well I mean there's family first that you need to see right and you have a little right. girl that they want to see and there's different you know family events and all that but we were able to squeeze in a lunch date which was wonderful yeah. Um, and we talked nothing reseller related, which was even better. That was even nicer. <laughs> <laughs> and the food was delicious and the drinks were spot on. They were, oh, they were chef's kiss. So good. I know if I was like less irresponsible, I would have had so much more. <laughs> <laughs> or if we had like a driver. A driver. And I, oh yeah. And I didn't have, but my biggest thing is like, I've got that like two year old man. Yeah. And yeah. she just does not like to sleep in so right so she wouldn't get it she'd be like mom I don't care that you drink like no you gotta go no No. I know I know that's so funny but but Jen did go thrifting here let's talk about the thrifting in New England and any changes that you may have seen between last time you were here and which was last year Mm -hmm. and then this time that you are here because I bet you noticed some differences all right. So, you know, I think it's really interesting because I always have felt that the thrifting in Massachusetts has been a lot better than out here in California. In California, I feel like thrifting has always been kind of cool, at least for longer periods mm. of time than other parts of the country. So it's a little bit harder, I would say, to find goods. Is it possible? It absolutely is. But I think it's really hard for a part-time or a hobby reseller to find good yeah. things. Um, but uh, when I went there, I was very surprised um and not in a very good way (laughs) 
So I think it was really tough because one, I know prices have gone up everywhere. Yeah. But honestly, again, I live in a very uh, expensive state. So it's very rare for me to be sticker shocked. Yeah, <laughs> on things. this is true. But prices have definitely gone up. Um, the the thrift stores are definitely knowing a lot more brands. They're starting to understand collaborations. There's there's just a lot of information out there, you know, that I wouldn't be surprised if the people at Savers headquarters are like, you need to be watching these YouTube videos and right? these whatever bolo whatever brands and all this stuff. So so that was kind of interesting. And then I think the second thing that I found that was really interesting was that um, there was just a lot less inventory, like, and I, to, to to go through. And 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 when I mean a lot less inventory, yes, there's a lot of stuff that's still out there. But I remember like masks being full of really cool, unique mm-hmm. vintage items. Um, you know, like just like unique patterns, styles, all things that we've talked about that are like in yeah in style right now. Like we mentioned, Danielle and I talked about like the blazer section. The blazer section was one of the most underutilized sections in Massachusetts forever or in New England. I used to get all of the coolest vintage blazers there with like really amazing patterns and buttons and yeah. like the big like sleeves None of that is there anymore. It's all gone. <laughs> the blazer section is really pathetic. And for those of you who are not on the Patreon group, we released a um, Fashion Trends 2023 episode to our group last week, um, which is what we're referencing. But in general, in New England, the blazer section is usually like, sp- like it's just great. Like, it's really good. I'm on the hunt for some, uh, I guess, like Ralph Lauren dupe type of blazers right now. And there's a ton of vintage ones that look like that. Do you think I can find one? I went to three thrift stores this weekend. I couldn't They're find one. We used to be able to find so many of those really cool sweaters, beautiful vintage dresses, all gone. Like all of it is gone. It's just kind of crazy to me that like, I can't find any vintage stuff anymore, really. Like, and I know it's not resellers. <laughs> That's the difference too. Cause I see a lot of just like, different types of people shopping um you know the the stores so I thought that 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 was kind of interesting and then um some of my favorite retail arbitrage stores have significantly increased their prices a lot I think they know what they have now and they want more money um but they were so overstocked though with so much stuff because which means the clearance is going to be great yeah the clearance is going to be great exactly so I definitely think that, and we can definitely talk about this too more, where I feel like the secondhand market is getting a little greedy. Mm. Um, Good topic. Good topic. Yeah. I think that, you know, when it comes to like prices, I know we talk so much about like thrift stores, they get it for free. They get it for free. They don't care. They don't care. Why would they care? They're for profit. 90% of them are for Mm -hmm. profit. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but I still got a lot of really good stuff. It did take me a while though, um, to find good stuff because also you have to remember too, like I'm looking for things for myself, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to resell. It's more like if it doesn't fit me, then I'll resell it. Um, but because they don't have fitting rooms anymore in the thrift Mm -hmm. stores. Yes. So, um, yeah, so we'll just have to kind of see, but I was definitely shopping a little bit different this time around and I found a lot of really good stuff for myself. So that was really nice, but to resell, 
You know, not really. I mean, I, I was finding, you know, J. Crew tops for myself for between seven and thirteen dollars. Like which I, you wouldn't pick up to resell. That's I way would too not much. pick up a thirteen dollar J. Crew shirt to resell unless it's something right absolutely spectacular. But you know, I'm talking about like like this, this is basic. a J. Crew top. <laughs> like something basic, yeah, that I'm like I can wear often and I don't care if Ellie gets, you know, juice all over it. It's not a big deal kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um it's interesting to hear your perspective on it because I I think when people think about like when I compl- I don't complain, but like when I say um I have a hard time finding inventory where I am, like inventory that I sell. Okay, we'll we'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Inventory that I sell. I have to do multiple trips to multiple stores to even get like 10 to 15 items. I'm talking like an all-day affair. And um and what you're describing is basically what I'm seeing all the time. And I think there's a mix of things happening. I think there are more resellers. I think that's the number one of the number one things. There was definitely there's a lot, a lot more resellers. More. I know what, what a reseller Ooh, we can spot looks you. like. I can spot you from a mile away. You've got a giant cart full of stuff and you're just sifting through super, super, super fast. So, Whenever people yeah. looking on the racks really quick, I'm like, I'm just going to go down the other way and I'm like meet you bother. in the middle. Like I'm not going to bother. Um, <laughs> So there's definitely that factor that, but there's the interesting thing is they're not resellers of our age. A lot of them are older. A lot of them are in that like retirement age or heading towards retirement. And they're looking to go into reselling and learn more about it as like their supplemental income, which Mm -hmm. I think is wonderful, but it's interesting to see the dynamic changing. And then we have like the super young reseller that's out there now. It's like our generation of resellers actually shrunken and it's the really, really young or the more middle age to like retirement age type of Mm -hmm. group it's very fascinating to see that because I feel like we don't see as many of like me and you there no no I didn't I didn't see that either I definitely didn't so yeah it was it was definitely interesting and like I said I still definitely got good stuff um and there I did find like some things that I was like oh if I was a reseller I would definitely or if I was reselling right now because you have to remember I had a limited amount of space. Yeah. Um, she only had a know, suitcase. I only had a suitcase. So it's like, I definitely left some things behind that I was like, oh, I would have so picked that up when, I, you know, if I had the chance or something yeah. like that. But I figured I'd leave it for some good karma for the next person to get it. I'm sure a local reseller was very happy that you left yes. it. Um, <laughs> the other thing that you talked about vintage not really being around. And I think a lot of it is because the younger generation, that's really what they're wearing. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. 100%. It's what they're looking for. I used to find all these beautiful, like, like skirts mm. all the time. The skirt section so dried up. I don't know why I was like, there was, there's just nothing there, you know, for, for me. And, and, and then like the things that I was interested in, like I said, like, you know, like your mall brands, right? Like Madewell, let's say J. Crew, Anthropology, even sometimes Ann Taylor, whatever, right? Like Brooks Brothers, let's say, like you know, Brooks Brothers skirt that I loved. It was mm-hmm. like this, like olive green corduroy skirt. Ooh, we love I corduroy. Like, I love that. Eighteen ninety nine, and I was like, holy smokes! Like, oh that's pricey. That yeah. I think that is pricey. You know, I mean, I'll get it for myself, sure, but. I ended up not getting it for but myself. But even at 1899, I, I don't know if I'd get it for myself. Well, I ended up not. I ended up because I had all this other stuff and I was like, no, I'm like, I think I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to put it back, you know? Yeah. So it was yes. easy to let it go. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of dynamics to it. And 
I think the price increases are also multifaceted. The economy definitely drives that. Everything is in a surplus right now. Um, but I also think thrift stores know people are shopping there more so they can charge the higher price, whether yeah. it's a reseller or an everyday shopper. They know people are going to buy it because it's cheaper than them going into the retail store to pick something up. Mm-hmm. I will say the people who aren't really being affected, the demographic of people who are not being affected by these price increases, right? People that are in a different class when it comes to money. Um we have seen the retail stores booming. There's a lot of people at the outdoor malls, the indoor malls, at least here, they are shopping and they're coming out with bags filled with stuff. So there's there's a lot happening. And I think this is why we want to have this conversation because I know people are feeling like people aren't buying things or like there's this, this um, I don't know, preconceived notion of like, well, because of the economy, people aren't buying there's different markets of people. And I think depending on what you sell, you're feeling different things. So if you're selling to that clientele that's in the retail stores, buying things up, like it doesn't really matter. You're not feeling the hurt as someone who's selling more of the everyday bread and butter type of pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And it's a hard topic to talk about because I feel like it's not only is it controversial, but like, you don't want to put, I don't want to put anyone down who's selling a certain category, but I, I think we all have to either get smarter about those categories that we're in. And we've had this conversation with Patreon mm-hmm. members and whatnot. Like just because you sell bread and butter, just because you sell uh J crew target, whatever it is, doesn't mean you can't continue to sell it. It just means you have to get smarter about the categories and the items that sell for that price point that you need. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's not only just the, the style, the design, you know, the silhouette or whatever it is. Right. It's also like, is your price point even competitive mm. enough? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I, I agree. I think, Daniela, you actually had an interesting um, situation happen to you where you went to the mall and you were at Banana Republic mm-hmm. and you ended up getting stuff at Banana Republic that was on sale, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, because we know Banana Republic retail is very expensive. Mm-hmm. But the prices that you were getting, you were getting at the same prices at the thrift store. Correct. Correct. You can do the same thing at anthropology. People won't go into anthropology sales section because they think that they can't afford the stuff that's in there. Let me tell you, they mark their stuff down real cheap and then they have a sale sometimes on top of the price that it's marked Mm -hmm. at. So you can Mm -hmm. snag yourself some good anthropology jeans for the same price as we'll say like a cheaper version of Levi jeans. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's just the reality of it. And I think this is where retail has gotten really smart because um, they know people may not necessarily buy things. You're going to have a group of people buy things at retail price, but you have a bigger people that are going to go into your sales section. And I feel like retailers have really focused on pushing those sales more and more to move that inventory instead of liquidating it and sending it into liquidation pallets. They're just moving it themselves at a, at, a, at their cost and they're making their money on it. So retailers are getting really smart with it too. So don't just think that, and that we want to be sustainable, right? We want to help the environment, everything, but don't think that the only option that you have mm-hmm. is um, in thrift stores, either for yourself or to sell, because mm-hmm. I have bought things in retail stores, plenty of times to sell on whatever market it is that I'm selling it on. And it was cheaper than me buying it in the thrift store. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. just have to be like, there's just so much to it now. And um, I think if you're out there and you're struggling with your sales, you have to have these honest conversations with yourself. Is it the brands that you're selling? 
if it is the brands that you're selling, then are there certain categories in those brands that just aren't working for you anymore? Um, is there, is it your price point? Are, you, are your prices still reflecting from 2020? Because let me tell that those prices don't work anymore from 2020. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It, it is kind of interesting. And I think that you you kind of bring us into our next topic is just like, just like, what's kind of going on, right? Like you said, mm. in like, in like retail and this whole like, that they're changing and everything else. Because, you know, um, I actually just recently read an article, and I just pulled it up right now, just about how like, brands are pushing themselves more and more, right, to be sustainable, right? Yeah. And part of that sustainability is also secondhand shopping for themselves like buying back programs they're called and actually like reselling or selling their own things yeah on there so just a quick example like like I have 13 um brands here oh let's read them that yeah that are actually already doing buyback programs some of these we know about some of them they don't but again this is like everything that's changing, right? And all of this does affect your reselling business and it does affect the secondhand market. Mm. Um, so companies that are buying back Levi's, we know yep, that. That we knew about. Mm-hmm. Reformation buys back. Oh, I back. didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And other stories. Oh. Mm-hmm. The North Face is starting to buy back stuff. These are all, I, I didn't know any of those besides yeah. Levi's. Outer Worn. Outer Worn. Patagonia. We know about Patagonia. Patagonia What's Outer actually, Worn, though? I know Outer Worn is like, um, uh, I'm trying to think. It, it's like an outdoorsy guess, thing? Yeah, kind of like outdoorsy. It's like, um, I'm trying to like see if I can show you a picture. It's just Sorry, like I'm going to Google it. Outer Worn. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But they have a buyback program, you know, where, and then they, you can also shop their pre-loved pieces. You know, you can also like sell your own warm pieces to get brand credit. I mean, come on. Uh, there's also Warnware by Patagonia. I've actually seen some resellers taking advantage of this as well, where they're selling their pieces that are not selling for them on Poshmark or wherever mm. and sending it to Patagonia. And Patagonia is basically you earn credit to spend um, to spend money on the secondhand store and also on new stuff. So, like new by Lululemon. That's yeah, that I did know. One. Mm-hmm. That one I think is probably one of the more successful ones. Is the oh, Lululemon yeah. one? Mm-hmm. Uh, Eileen Fisher renew. Oh, they use those clothing to make new one, right? Because they have the renew label on some pieces of clothing. That's so cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and then like REI, so resupply by REI, and REI sells tons mm. and tons of different brands. Mm. Um, there's also Timber Loop by Timberland. So okay. Timberlands. And then Made Well Forever, which we yep. knew about that one, right? And then Revive by Ku- um, Kuyana. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they did a buyback. Mm-hmm. And Pre-Love by PacSun. PacSun also does something really? else. They do Pre-Love. A lot of these sometimes, you know, they do partnerships with ThreadUp, you yeah. know, sometimes. But um, it's like you trade in your old PacSun clothing and you earn credit. What can't be resold will be donated. So it's just like some of these people, it's like, well, why why would I resell it if I can just get credit? You know, so it's just kind of interesting. And buy like, something new, right? Something new. Because let's be honest, we, we live in America and we're very new focused here, right? Like new mm-hmm. car, new house, new whatever. Um, I can see how the general consumer would be like, well, I have a bunch of Patagonia stuff. I'm just going to send it in and get credit and buy 
myself a new fleece, mm-hmm. a new coat, what, whatever, whatever it is. Um, do you think that these buyback programs um, will, I don't want to say eliminate, but I guess eliminate the ability of us resellers being able to flip those items the way that we once would be able to? I think we have more competition. Mm. Definitely. Um, I think a lot of these sites are generally more expensive maybe than what we would might price them at. So we might have some better deals, but there might have to be some more places that you need to check comps. Yeah. You know, and see, and see, is there a saturated market? Not just on Poshmark, right? Is there Mm -hmm. a saturated market out there for the item that I have? So it's definitely something where it's like, I, I do think that it needs to change the way that we kind of look at things. Because I think that this is more and more what's going to be happening and more of the wave of the future. Um, Because there's a lot of money to be had in the secondhand market and a lot of big companies are coming out and capitalizing on it. I think you said the right word there is big companies. I think the smaller retailers that try to do this or retailers that don't have the resources to do it are not going to be able to sustain it because they're going to realize that the margin that they end up making on it isn't worth it for them. Like we've seen Thread Up go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've had to change their model so many times because their margin is so slim between paying employees, overhead. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to factor all that in. When you're talking about a company like Levi's, who's been around for centuries, right? like a century mm-hmm. at least, right? So they're okay. Like they can afford to do that. And they have historians that work on their teams that are able to pull, to understand when this Levi's piece came from and really price it accordingly. A company like Madewell, I don't see that program lasting long because I, I just feel like Madewell is a dime a dozen now too. And I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if their margins make sense. Will I, do I think Lululemon, it will stay? Yeah, because it makes 100% sense what Lululemon does and the way they mm-hmm. buy the stuff back. And Lululemon is so hot in 2022 and 2023 where I think that, yeah, it's sustainable. I think companies like Macy's or Neiman Marcus that do it are going to have to really figure out like what brands is it worth it for them to do it. Mm-hmm. Um so I think there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to like, will these programs actually last? I, I don't know. We have to see what happens in the next five to 10 years. We'll have to definitely know. see, but I, I, you know, reading a lot of these, it seems like a lot of them, and this is part of like thread up changing their model. A lot of them partner with thread up. It's a smart. Lot of them do. <laughs> it's really smart. Like Madewell is one that has like partnered with thread up, you know, and reformation, Christy Dawn. Uh, yeah. Kuyana, who else? There's a bunch of that, brands that I never thought. Yep. I never thought like that. What is it? Um, Reformation would like partner yep. up with, with a. But I also have a problem with Reformation. Yeah. They consider themselves sustainable, but are they really? Well, it says that Reformation has been recycling and reusing clothes since 2015. Yeah. I don't know. Like when I think of Reformation, I don't think sustainability as like Eileen Fisher. Eileen Fisher is a sustainable brand. Yeah, I, I could see that, but maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe they, they maybe it's just a, a part of their branding. I don't know. Cause I think, when I you think, think that's of what like, most companies honestly, do. Honestly, because I think when you think of like sustainable brands, you think of like, oh, basics and clean lines. Because and that's social media that does and that. Everything. Exactly. But exactly. Like that's what, the, that's what like the branding of sustainability yes. has become. But it's like, 
that doesn't mean that like some like crazy flashy brand could come out and say that they're sustainable and they actually are sustainable. It's just that it's like, rather than, I don't know, like making like a white cotton tee, they're making like a, like a, a leopard print dress or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, it's like, I have an issue with H&M because H&M claims to be sustainable in that like conscious line, but your brand is fast fashion. Like I, I have a problem with H&M. It is fast fashion. Mm-hmm. It is. So is it Zara. Is. But is. they are held to a different standard and they claim in certain in certain aspects of their business that they're sustainable. But sustainability isn't just that like that flashing light that you put on your brand. Like there's mm-hmm. more like there's a I listened to an interview of the creator and founder of Kuyana and I don't mm-hmm. remember what podcast it was on, but it was a wonderful interview with the founder. And if we could get her on here, that would be amazing. So I'd love to have the conversation with her. But the way they stay sustainable. I'd love to get some samples from her too. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, they only make like 15 of one piece, 120 of another piece. And once it sells out, it's out until their next round of buying materials. And then they make like another 150. Like that's how they stay sustainable. And then they also have the buyback where they um, can remake products and recycle and all that. But yeah. that is part of sustainability where you're limiting the supply of something mm-hmm. so that you're not constantly, okay, Zara and H&M don't do that. We mm-hmm. mass produce. That's what we do. Yeah, that's very true. That's very, very anyway, true. Anyway, that's, so, that's yeah. my rant. But it, it is, it's, I think it's an interesting conversation, you know, honestly, because it just goes to show you like, yeah, like there is more competition, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, more resellers that are out there um, and other players that we've never, resellers have never had to deal with before, you know? So yeah. it is kind of interesting to see this, this big shift and it's like, and it's just still moving. Like, I don't, I really thought that this whole like, shopping secondhand thing was going to die down already but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere and I mean maybe eventually it will I you know I everything has its cycles um but I I don't see it happening anytime soon yeah and more and more people especially like younger people Mm. are getting really into it for fashion like it's really cool like there is no stigma anymore for shopping secondhand like honestly honestly everybody like if you looked at this like 20 years ago 25 years ago it was like shopping at a thrift store it was like it was like that was what you did for like Halloween costumes Mm -hmm. and you just didn't have a lot of money you know and 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 that was the reality of it you know so you had to go and save money and get used stuff but now it's just like the landscape has changed so much in such a short amount of time. It's interesting to see kind of where we are right now and just to see what the rest of the year is going to kind of pan out and look like. Yeah. And I think it's like a day by day, month by month kind of thing. I don't think anyone can really make predictions. I mean, we can make predictions, but no one really knows what it's going to look like. I mean, there's this other factor too, Jen, which I don't know if you've heard of, but luxury brands are really like taking things to court now because they don't want their stuff sold in the secondhand market by other people, meaning us. I think that's BS. I'm sorry. It's my thing. I buy it. I can do what I want with it. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to sign a contract. Exactly. I buy my Chanel bag hard for like Mm -hmm. the courts to mandate. It would require so much legwork for the courts to mandate. And then we're going to do create a completely different branch of government. That's going to track all the, how are you going to be able to do it? I know. And it's like, it's like if, and if you're going to have that big a problem too, then from me doing that, then get a buyback program set up and buy it back from me. 
if you're going to be like that upset about it or something like that. So I know it is crazy. We have heard a lot of really high-end designers and luxury Chanel brands. Chanel being number really one. Going, Chanel, yeah, for like going after reselling sites, um, you know, and, you know, looking at our listings, I mean, not my listings, because I don't have a bunch of Chanel to sell, but, you know what I mean, looking if at only. listings. Um and, and, you know, really coming down on the hammer on a lot of these reselling sites. But yeah, I just, oh, that just irks me so much. Like that just feels like, it just feels like, like, they're just feel like they're so privileged. Like that's this is exactly our stuff, what it is. And you shouldn't sell it secondhand. It's like it, 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 um, devalues our brand and no, it's not like, Chanel and all no, you big luxury brands. If anything, it's it increasing makes, the value of your brand. It increases the value of your brand. And not only, it also opens up the market to more fans of your work, mm-hmm. more fans of what you want. And sometimes these brands, I feel like they're just so snotty and like hoity-toity. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, this is what we want. This is what we want to look like. It's like, sorry, you got to get with the times because you know what? I'm like, I know when I come, when it comes to me buying my Chanel bag, it's going to be used. <laughs> Yes. First of all, I don't want a modern day Chanel bag. I I don't like I've done a lot of research about the differences between vintage and uh, modern day Chanel. Modern day Chanel is awful and I would never buy it. It's very, very true. So much depends on the creative director at the time and what are they producing? Because I agree. I definitely have my era of certain brands that I'm like, when so-and-so was the creative director, mm-hmm. that's when I liked that brand. Mm-hmm. When this person became the creative director, I didn't like the direction that they took the, yeah. the the brand in. And it's not my style. It's not something that I like. Especially I when you want to invest in such an expensive piece. Like a Chanel bag is a lifelong investment that's going to be carried down generation to generation. That's typically what those Chanel pur- purchases, a regular person, right? People like us, yeah. they, that's, that's usually what ends up happening is you want to pass that down. Um, you know, celebrities and stuff buy them because they can, it's a different, it's a different thing, yeah. but I would want a Chanel bag from like the 60s, 70s era because the leather and construction of those bags to this day look perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And today's I, bags are hard. And just, I, I just, oh. I just recently saw the, the Chanel show the spring show oh um, yeah I, I haven't watched the whole thing I've been watching some of the couture ones I, the, I watched some past of the clips weeks. yeah Ooh, some of them were wild <laughs> yeah yeah I wasn't that impressed mm, yeah they, they was, I, there's a couple I that were impressive them. but not many I, I don't know I, it's funny because like I recently saw this movie this is us going off on a tangent now that's what we oh, do here what was it called it was like Mrs. Harris goes to Paris okay seen that? Mm-hmm. you need to see this you need to see this movie it's on prime it's on Amazon okay. Prime. And it's all about this woman in, I think it's the 1960s. She and, an older woman? I feel like I've seen yes. previews for this. Okay, yes. yes. And she is a cleaner in London. And she's cleaning a house and she sees a gorgeous uh, dress, right? And I think it's from, oh, now I'm going to mess it up. Was it from Dior? It doesn't matter. It came from a French yeah. brand. I think it was from Dior. It was from the Dior. It's from the house of Dior, not Chanel. So anyways, and so like, they were like, they did a fashion show, right? Of like that, that years or that collection, right? And they showed all of the pieces that came out and everything that I saw on there, I was, just, it was just like, like jaw dropping, like Sweaty so it. stunning, so stunning, so mm. gorgeous and everything. 
And I'm like, I feel like it's been a long time since I've like seen the show that has given me that kind of reaction, you know? Mm. Like, Marvelous Miss Maisie, that 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 oh, uh, show on Prime. Maisel. When Miss Maisel, yeah. When you watch, have you watched it? I have. I've seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The fashion that they I love the fashion on that put one together for that series is just unbelievable. If you have not watched it on Amazon Prime, just for the fashion alone, first of all, it's hysterical. It is an amazing show. But the fashion and the way they were able to put those pieces together from mm-hmm. that time period, it is just, and going into the department stores, right? Like going into the, uh, just all the department stores that existed in yeah. New York at that time. It is just a beautiful trip down memory lane of when fashion really became big in the U.S. Yeah. You know what? It, it, it was, it was, it was really good. I really did like it. And um, it's funny because like, yeah, it was, it was the house of Dior. It was. That, okay. Not Chanel. Um, and plus like that guy uh i think his name is like lucas bravo or something like that he's on it he's like that really cute french actor so oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) added bonus um (laughs) breaking news i guess just announced the other day gucci has a new creative director i am so curious to see what direction this is going to go in because gucci's been on like this weird we're following all the trendy trends for the young kids Mm -hmm. and it's kind of gone away from that demographic because Gucci was really for like the businesswoman, the woman who really wanted to be put together. And um, they've... well, I'm a big fan of like Gucci in the era of Tom Ford, honestly. Yes. So but, I'm really yeah. curious to see if this creative director is going to take a step back and go in that direction. Because I feel like a lot of brands are taking that vintage inspiration and putting it into um, the current collections that are going out. So I'm really mm-hmm. curious to see what kind of shift Gucci makes with this. Um, oh, because yeah. I can tell you like, the last five years, I have not liked what they've put out. Um, I'm not a Gucci fan. I don't like it. Um, oh, I don't either. I, I I don't either. I mean, I mean, there's like been some some small pieces here and there yeah. that I don't mind, um, but I haven't been that big of a fan of it either. No, give me so. the vintage Gucci from like House of Gucci era, like that. That's to me, that's iconic Gucci. Um, so yeah, there it will be. So going back to what we were originally talking about, I don't think luxury brands will be able to stop resellers 100. It would be very very difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I do think you need to be careful about what you are selling. Like, you know, make sure you know where your goods are coming from. There's a lot of factors that go into it when you go into the luxury market or even if you go into the sneaker market. But, um, yeah, I mean, no matter what category you're selling in, when you have a big name attached to it, you're putting yourself at risk no matter what. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think just being cautious about that. And now the most controversial thing that I feel like is going everywhere all over social media. Well, there's two things. We're gonna talk about the first one. The first one is um, the live selling and the decline of sales and people trying to associate them together. Yeah. Um, this is like a loaded question. I think, okay. So do I think there could be a reason why Poshmark has lower traffic? Um, I, I think there's probably multiple reasons. One of them might be because they're in the middle of, of a acquisition. So there's probably different things happening in the back end that we can't see. That's, mm-hmm maybe halted their um, ability to maybe push certain things out the way they used to. We don't know what kind of updates they're doing on their end. Um, So I do think because the acquisition's happening, we're probably going to see some, we're going to see small changes happening as we go, but there's probably stuff happening in the back that's limiting traffic from coming in so they can do what they need to do. Um, I think that all the notifications that Poshmark sends could deter customers from coming on the app because there are so many notifications for live shows. It's, it's really hard to not get annoyed by it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. It's, 
it, it is. It's, it's it's interesting. I feel like the the community is very divided. Yes, um, I, but I don't think live sales in general are decreasing sales of people who aren't doing live sales. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think so either. But it's definitely changing the landscape. Yes, you know, well, we don't have data is. to prove any of this either. Like, throwing that out there, problem. we have no that data. Now, um, you know, this is just kind of like us as like. You know, Daniela is much more involved in reselling than than I have been in the past year. You know, but I've been a very very active on on the site. You know, I, mm. I'm a big time shopper on there, so I do shop a lot, and so I feel like I have a very good perspective from the customer, you know, and what people are kind of looking for and everything. But it's definitely yeah, it's definitely changed. It's changed the look. It's changed the feel, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if it is really changing because I feel like it's different types of people that are going into into live sales and people who are searching and looking for specific yep. types of stuff specific types of brands I think there's always going to be those types of people that are going to be out there that aren't going to buy just based off of style alone yep. on things I know I'm definitely one of them I'm yep. especially with online selling I'm just very very particular and if I can't return something because of fit or something then I need to be extra sure with what I'm mm -hmm. looking for. So when I'm looking for something, I'm looking for something very specific. I'm not just browsing, right? you know? So it is kind of interesting. So I think it is more of a browsing type of shopper, you know, um, than someone who's looking for something specific. So I, I don't think it is taking away too much from it, but it is changing the landscape. Yes, I think it's changing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily changing the the maybe the buyer pool is switching a little but the traditional shopper is always going to exist because it is it is but i think like i think what people also have to factor is like yes that might be one small part of it but also all the other things that we mentioned are yes. also making really yes. big dents in everyone's business it just is you know there's mm -hmm. like we said there's more competition there's more inventory out there there's more places for people to shop price together. points and price points is another big thing all right guys sorry um the conversation might be a little disjointed because we had technical difficulties it program <laughs> just decided to close out on us for whatever reason yeah. um uh, anyway no jen worries. you were talking about price points i was just talking about yeah just in general price points you have more competition it's not just for live sales you know there's a lot more competition out there the landscape is changing just, you know, um, small, like live sales could, can definitely be a contributing factor, but it's not everything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think, and if people are succeeding with live sales, keep it up, man, because I really do think it's going to be a big part of the pie for reselling. I um, do too. I do too. That's the other thing that we were going to talk about, right? Like, yeah. Yep. I do think that live selling will be a big piece of the pie, but I don't think you necessarily need to get into it. Does that make so. sense? I guess I, I know it's, it's confusing, just, but like, I you think don't it's just have another to do outlet it. for you to do it if you want to do it. I know that a lot of like big time resellers, I think it's really funny if you guys watch like a lot of big time resellers and how, you know, a lot of them are all about it and they just want to do it. And then afterwards they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. Yeah. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> a few weeks later, they're like, oh, you know, can you come, come and watch my, my next show? <laughs> I know but because I think it's such, but it's like selling traditionally, right? It's so disjointed. Mm -hmm. You never mm -hmm. really know how much money you're going to make because you're based off of, you know, you're basing it off of people who are going to be coming into your shows and like, it, it's the same kind of unknown 
you're just doing more volume. That's yeah. really the the difference. Yeah. And I think it's like, if you're hearing from individuals and saying, you need to be doing live selling, this is the future. I, I don't think so. I really think that you're going to be fine, but you are just going to have to see where where you need to tailor your business. That's that's yeah. really what it is. You know, I don't think that you have to do live selling in order to, to be successful in reselling. I, I really don't think so. Um, I, I hope I'm not wrong, but that's just what I see going on. Um, yeah. Because if that's the case, it's just, it's such a different beast than what reselling is, mm. you know? And it's just, it's like something where I just feel like a lot of people are not comfortable with. And I don't think, and I'm speaking to as, as, a, as a buyer, like there's a lot of buyers that are out there that are like me, that are like you, that are just like, I don't have time to be going to a sale yeah. and, you know, and, and going through 45 items to see if I like something from yep. someone. And spend an have- hour and a half doing it time I don't have time to do that so it's like there's gonna be tons of people who are out there who just don't have the time (laughs) yeah I think you're gonna the traditional buyer will continue to be the traditional buyer searching for exactly what it is that they need and you're gonna have the buyer who likes to casually shop and has the time maybe they're feeding their newborn right and they're just like I'm gonna watch this while I'm feeding my newborn you know or there's a someone is I don't know has a day off and they have the time to just sit there and and watch a live show. So it really depends on the, on the person. I think it's great that we have multiple ways of selling. I just don't think one is better than the other, or one is going to surpass the other. I I think it's going to be whatever works for the individual seller. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, So that's our thoughts on that. And the last thing we want to bring up is the Poshmark 1099 K debacle that is going on this week. I know there was some confusion with that um, Mm -hmm. and about, you know, well, they only have transactions on there. I have to go through and, you know, look to and add in my returns and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's okay. (laughs) I think if anything, this is a lesson to uh, people out there. And Jen and I are always big advocates of this. No matter what program or system you use, you should be tracking Mm -hmm. everything with your business starting January 1st or starting the month of January right now, starting the month of February, um, starting this year, you should take some time and find a way to track all of your things. I don't care if it's a spreadsheet. I don't care if it's a program. I don't care if it's QuickBooks. I don't care what it is. Find something that's going to be easy for you to track your expenses, to track your transaction fees, to track your shipping, all of Mm -hmm. that mileage. That way, when this happens again next year, because next year, remember, 1099K is going to be pushed out across the board, $600 threshold through every platform, no matter what it is, no matter who you Mm -hmm. are, make sure you have something in place this year so you're in a much better place come Mm -hmm. 2024. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a topic that everyone hates, (laughs) but it's true. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And and remember, like, you're really confused by all this, like, Go talk to just a CPA, you know, mm-hmm. go talk to somebody who can definitely help you. People outsource stuff for their businesses all the time. And yep. if this is something that, um, that like you've been thinking about, like this should be the first thing yeah. <laughs> you should be outsourcing for your business. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I did. I know Daniela does. I know uh, absolutely. Do. I'm not. <laughs> There's no way I would do this IRS. myself. I'm not messing with my taxes. Just no. here, no. 
this Mr. Mrs. Tax Man. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not, especially Here, with yeah. the 1099Ks and the fact that, I mean, anyone out there was affiliate links, anything before it was $20,000 or I think 200 transactions. I think that's what the threshold was. Well, that's not going to be the case anymore. It's nope. going to be $600. So if it's, you have an affiliate link that people use every single month and let's say you make 70, 75 bucks, 100 bucks on it or more every month. Well, guess what? You're getting a 1099K and it's going to report it to the IRS. So just do your homework. There are some tax professionals in our reselling community that offer services. Mm -hmm. Seek them out. If you don't mm -hmm. feel comfortable finding someone where you are, there are plenty of people in our community that are CPAs, accountants, or offer some type of service, maybe a bookkeeper. There's so many people out there. Um, but I think everybody, $600. A year. I know. Isn't that That's crazy? Literally, you have to make $50. $50 a month. Yeah. And you're going to get taxed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just insane. The $600 threshold, I still can't get past because think about people that just occasionally sell things online, well, like things at their home. That's what I'm thinking because I'm just like, well, I just like to randomly sell things out of my home here and there. Everybody knows yeah. that I haven't been doing that much reselling. Yep. And I hit like $600, no problem. So yep. you're going to tell me that the stuff that I would have just sold at a yard sale, you're going to charge me for things that I've already paid taxes on before. Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't understand how this is all going to work. I guess we we'll have to see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, but I think the moral of the story of this conversation is just, just take some time this year to figure out what you want your organization of your business to look like, how you're going to track everything. Um, I mean, the great thing is platforms do have transaction reports and sales reports. You can download those yeah. and go line by line and figure out where your returns were and stuff. So for your so for your taxes, you'll have that information. Mm -hmm. um, but instead of trying to scramble right uh, at tax time, having a breakdown ready to go, even when these types of things come up, uh, it's just peace of mind more than anything. And to hand something to an accountant and say, here you go, have fun. I don't want to know anything. Just tell me how much I need. I have to pay the government. That's all you got to tell me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody knows an accountant. Seriously. Like if yep. you're like, I don't know who to talk to. It's like, like talk to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> they know. <laughs> talk to your parents. They'll know an accountant. Talk to, <laughs> talk to your friends. Talk to, you know what I mean? Like ask to start asking around and then yep. like literally just be like, hi, this is what I have. This is what I need. And they might be like, I have no idea to help you, but I know somebody who does. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I think yeah. most accountants will do a consult for free if you reach out to them too, just to get an idea of like, what is it that I need? What should I be tracking? Um, accountants are usually pretty good about that because they know people get really nervous and scared about the whole topic of taxes. Um, and we are not tax professionals. Let's just put that out there right now. That disclaimer is we are not tax professionals. This is why we hire it out. Yeah, I don't I, I don't touch my taxes. I just keep track of everything. Mm -hmm. But we're just saying in general, because of this 1099K that has come out, it's just something to keep note of. Like, I'm sure that, you know, that some people are out there that got this and be like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Yeah. And that's okay. What am I supposed to do? I haven't that's tracked okay. anything. I'll tell you what you need to do that. Just give it to, you, give it to your accountant. And if you don't oh. have an accountant, who does your taxes? Give yeah. it to them. <laughs> yeah. And ask them, what do you need from me? And, you know, yeah, they'll give you an idea of what it is that they need. But, and if you're the one that does your taxes, uh, I don't know, go to, 
Go to TurboTax, maybe. <laughs> maybe well, I think TurboTax have they have that like twenty four seven help thing, don't they? Don't they have like a they chat do? I used I used to use TurboTax a lot when I was like younger. Yeah. Um, I did when I did my own taxes. Now I haven't done my own taxes in years. I've maybe. never done my own taxes. I used to just give it to my mom, who would give it to her accountant, and I. That's oh what I used God. to do. But I used to my, my parents had the business right, so they oh, just lumped true. everything because he would just do one flat fee because he did the business, he did all of us. Um, and then when Matt and I got married, we ended up getting our own accountant, but that's, that's what I did. I never do it myself. Oh, I used to do mine, but I used to, but like when I was like, I don't know, 16 to like 20, I did my own taxes. You thought you were cool, huh? Oh, I did. Cause my cousins <laughs> used to give me their, t- their, their W2s and they'd be like, oh, can you do our taxes? I'd be like, yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I used to work bucks. for an accountant too in high school though. Ah, so they, that's uh, why. They, that's, why. that's where I your love of numbers comes from. Probably. Yeah. Cause he was a cool guy. well guys i hope you enjoyed this hodgepodge of random topics today um i felt like there were just a lot of things happening in the community and plus jen and i just kind of want to sit down and chat with everyone um i guess we'll end the podcast with this jen and i are going to be planning this this thing for the podcast called uh thrifters villa reunion tour and our idea or concept is going to be going back to previous seasons and like pulling certain guests and having them come back on and talk about certain topics that we talked about in that episode and kind of see where they're at now and maybe revisit older topics that we did that um, were based off of the resale community or brands that were selling or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe do like a 10 part episode and release an episode once a month. I don't know. We don't know the details yet, but uh, we were just chatting about it before we started recording. And we think it'd be a fun thing to do because we do have three seasons to play with here. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun. Uh, I think it. I think what would be interesting is just to recap and see like what still makes sense and what yes. still stands, and things that were just like, "Whoa, I can't believe we talked about that," or "I can't <laughs> believe that," like you know, that used to be a a big issue. Now it's like that's non-existent. You know, I know. I can't wait for that part of it. Um, so if you guys have certain episodes that you loved in certain seasons. Please let us know in the Instagram post that we're going to put up for this episode. Um, head over there. Tell us which episodes you would like or topics or people you would like to have back on here. We will do our best to get certain people back on, but everyone is in a different place in their life right now than they were three years ago. Uh, so, but it'll be fun. <laughs> I'm excited. Let us know. And yeah, we will chat with you guys next week. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.